Acts chapter 13. Get your Bibles out, open them up. I am sure excited about what's happening here. Oh, and in the book of Acts too. So, just a reminder, Acts 1.8, Jesus told the disciples that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's what he said. And that's what we've seen happen. It's exactly what's happening. First, remember, Acts 5.28, the disciples were accused of filling all Jerusalem with this doctrine about Jesus. Wow. And then persecution scattered the church. Where'd they end up? Judea. Acts 8.1. Soon revival broke out even in Samaria. Philip preached Christ to them. Acts 8.8. And now here in Acts 13, the final phase of Jesus' word to them, the commission is passed on to Barnabas and Saul, and they're about to launch out the first missionary journey towards the end of the earth. That would be willows. I say this not only to give you a basic feeling for the book of Acts, but for a very practical reason also, and we'll kind of get into that. So look at your notes. Number one, throughout Scripture, the commands of the Lord, they're not heavy burdens. They're glorious expectations when you give your heart to Jesus, you see. Instead of reading Acts 1-8, like this, like I've heard some people read it and preach it. You better be witnesses to me. So get out there and pass out tracts. Be witnesses. It's my command. It should read more like this, I believe, with all my heart. You will be witnesses to me. (laughs) It will happen. Just watch and see. When you fall in love with me. So often people say the commands of Jesus are heavy. But Jesus said, no, my burden is light. It's easy. My load is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight. So when Jesus said, Acts 1, 8, you will be witnesses to me. Telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and even in Willows. His heart was, walk close to me, fall in love with me. Just see what happens when you do that. As we learn scripture together, as we meet around God's word, like we've had the privilege of doing, my prayer is that we catch the inflection and heart of the Father's voice so that we can clearly understand his heart. Get to know him better. His heart is, walk close with me and watch what happens in your life and what, watch what happens in your church. You'll see. Well, it was over 25 years ago and I'm looking for Mike Stevenson. Where are you, Mike? Raise your hand. He's hiding. Oh, he's coming out of the bathroom. Sorry, Mike. (laughs) I told him I was going to pick on him this morning. 
the Lord's got a sense of humor, doesn't he? So, over 25 years ago, we were meeting in this house on French Street. Somehow God had touched Mike's heart and Barbara's heart. They heard about a possible church that was going to be planted. And God was working in their lives and, and they were being renewed and hey, we better check this out. And so we have this meeting and there's four or five of us there and we're praying, Lord, is this what you want? And I meet Mike and I go, who are you? <laughs> what are you doing here? And he explained where he, and who said something to him. And, and I go, well, I'm excited that God's put this on your heart. But then he says, I just don't think I have another church planned in me. It's too much work. We knocked on every door in Willows. And it just didn't work. And I go, Mike, you don't understand. I'm not here for work. I'm not going to be knocking on every door. I'm just here to follow Jesus. And this is what he wants. He's doing this, not me. I'm just being obedient to Him. And that's all He calls for us to do, is to fall in love with Him and be obedient to Him. And, and I go, Mike, if that sounds good to you, come on board. Well, I'll give it a try. How'd it work out? Awesome. What an awesome elder he's been, and an awesome Minister Barbara has been to the ladies. We thank the Lord for them. And now they're thinking about, well, they're not thinking about, they are going to go live with their kiddos. And, but they'll be back every so often. We love you guys. But anyway, I'm not into work. I'm into loving the Lord. Teaching His Word. Walking close with Him. Just see what happens. And I believe with all my heart, that's what's happening in chapter 13. As we have the last verse in chapter 12 that leads into this section in 13, it's really fascinating to me. We see Saul, we see Barnabas, we see all the Antioch Christians, those that belong to Christ, slaves of Christ, man, they've just fallen in love with him because of what he's done for them. They're Gentiles. The Jews used to just put them down and look down on them, but the love of Christ has filled them to the point that they sent Saul and Barnabas with a love gift to Jerusalem, and now they're coming back. And So here we go, uh, Acts 12.25, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, when they had fulfilled their ministry, it was a sacrificial love gift from these pagan Gentiles that the Jews looked so down on. And they also took with them a guy named John. They brought him, John back from Jerusalem, a Jewish believer whose surname was Mark. So here's John Mark, this young Jewish believer. Can probably about the age of Grant, maybe, I'm thinking. And he was so moved by the love of these pagan Gentile people that as a Jew he thought, wow, there's no hope for the Gentiles. There's just no hope. 
And they love us that much even though we've looked down our noses on them. i got to go see what's going on in Antioch. Can I come back with you guys? Sure. Come on. So, here we go. Chapter 13. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. We start out with Barnabas. Okay, just hang on to that right there. Remember Barnabas, son of consolation. He's the one that took Saul when he came and he was telling you, I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He has changed my heart. He has changed my life. The other disciples, Peter and the, and the other guys, they go, whoa, get this guy out of here. He's the one that has been breathing threats and murder and putting people to death for their testimony about Jesus. That can't possibly be. He's in wanting to infiltrate us and then take all of us out. Can't happen. Barnabas goes, no, I think God's really done a work in this man's heart. I'm going to put my arm around you and I'm going to support you. I'm going to be there for you. That's the Barnabas that we're talking about him here. And then we go on. Simeon, who was called Niger. Simeon, I believe, was from the present day uh, Nigeria. He's probably, we think, uh, Simon the Cyrene, the one who carried the cross to Golgotha for Jesus. And then you look a little further, Lucius of Cyrene, so how did Lucius get saved? Well, it's one of that, that pattern of you fall in love with the Lord and the ripples just keep going. His love touches others. I suggest that Simon the Crossbear went back to Cyrene and his buddy Lucius and he says, i got to tell you about this man, Jesus, who died on the cross that I carried. And then I found out who he was. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. And I opened my heart to him. And I want to tell you about him. It's unbelievable. And he became a believer. And they started walking with the Lord together. And now here they are, significant figures in ministry. <coughs> and then, <coughs> excuse me. And then the next guy is kind of believable, unbelievable that he's in this bunch. Uh, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Whoa! He's a foster brother with Herod Antipas. Herod's the guy that chopped off the head of John the Baptist. Talk about the infiltrating power of Christ's love into this household, vile, polluted, yet the Lord rescued him and brought him out. And here he is. And he's part of the Lord's family. Paul would say, hey, if he can be saved, anybody can be saved, just like me. And then, speaking of Paul, and then Saul at the end of verse 1. You remember the guy still breathing threats of murder not that long ago? Wow. How hard it is to really believe that his heart has changed this much. Truly. 
So, it says in verse 2, as we get started, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Stop there for a moment. Look at your notes, number two. Luke doesn't say they ministered for the Lord, even though he's talking about those that were teachers and prophets ministering for the Lord. He says, no, there's something so much more important than ministering for the Lord. He doesn't say they ministered for the Lord. He says they ministered to the Lord. There's lots of people desire to minister for the Lord, to be seen as a worker for the Lord. But that's not the key. The key is first to minister to the Lord. What does that look like? Well, it looks like just falling in love with Him and spending time with Him and just being so excited about who He is and what He's done for you, for me, that we couldn't possibly do for ourselves. The verse that comes to mind, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. For some folks, the first time in their lives, they've been truly set free from the burdens that's been messing up their lives. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, we're We're getting to know Jesus, and as we spend time with him, he rubs off on us supernaturally. And we're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. We become more and more like him. The closer you get to him, the more you become like him. And it comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And again, the idea that Jesus wants us to see where his heart is and what he's talking about. He's just saying, you walk close to me. Fall in love with me. And watch what happens. Just watch what happens. You'll see. So we go on here in verse 2. And the Holy Spirit said, so, God the Holy Spirit is right in the midst of the church as they're just spending time with the Lord. Just let that sink in. Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit said, Who is this Holy Spirit? If someone were to ask me, what's the most important thing that a pastor or a church leader or an elder or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or that you as a follower of Jesus can do? My answer is this. Spend time with the Lord and then open your ears and open your heart because he's going to speak to you and figure out what Jesus wants. That's the most important thing. That's our biggest job as church leaders, as a pastor, as elders, to figure out what the Holy Spirit wants. Why do you say Holy Spirit? I thought you said Jesus. 
Well, look at John 16, verse 7 and verse 14. This is what Jesus said. Jesus is telling us God the Holy Spirit is our direct connection with him. As we open his word, the Holy Spirit is there teaching us and guiding us. And his word comes alive. For Jesus said, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, I will send him to you. And he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine, and he'll make it known to you. So Jesus is the one that's the head of this church, the head of our lives, the head of our family. He wants to be the head of every enterprise that we are involved in. He truly does. He speaks of his church family uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. The Holy Spirit is giving the writer these words. But speaking the truth in love, we, the church, may grow up in all things into him, that be Jesus, who is the head, that be Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, that be, did you know we're all ministers? causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. But what's the key? The key is we've got to find out what Jesus wants. And when you find out and you put your trust in him, then you begin to just rest in that and you walk close to him and then you just, whoa, Watch what happens. It's amazing because the Lord's doing what we can't do, only he can do. He's the one that goes around and knocks on hearts, not just doors, but hearts doors, and only he can do that. So we go on, verse 3. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. So when Christ is the head and the whole body is joined and knitted together and in love with the Lord and then Christ ordains and commissions Barnabas and Saul, then they have a formal ceremony and they call it the laying on of hands. They're declaring that we're partners in the ministry that God is calling you to and we're going to be there to back you up if financially, if that's what the Lord wants. Spiritually, we're going to be praying for you. We're going to be keeping in touch. We're going to be excited about what the Lord is doing because we're part of it with you, the whole body, and Christ is in charge. So, remember to pray for the people that God is putting into leadership around you. And pray for one another. Because Christ is doing this and we want him to continue to do the work that only he can do. Pray for our pastors, leaders, missionaries. Oh yeah, and this young man from Tennessee, Grant, 
this summer. I just have that sense in my heart that God's doing a work here. I can't wait to see what he's going to do. But we got to be part of it by praying and supporting. So these spirit-filled Christians, they're so filled with Christ's love, they're first sending that love gift to these Jewish believers that had looked down on them as Gentiles, but they go, oh, Christ has just filled us. We care about you guys, and we're going to send this love gift. And now they're willing to send their beloved teachers out to share Jesus' love with Gentiles. And they're excited about it. So, verse 4, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Cilicia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Why did they go to Cyprus? Have you ever asked yourself that? Well, those are the kind of questions I ask sometimes as I'm reading God's Word. Why Cyprus? So I found out that Cyprus was the homeland of Barnabas. And you see, the Lord gave the inspiration and the, and the direction, go, but then they kind of had a practical application. Where should we go first? And it was worked through Saul and Barnabas. They simply begin to move out what I, in a way that I call a spiritual, a supernatural, natural way. God was at work, but they were making their decisions. It was natural for Barnabas, I believe, to want to go to Cyprus. As his home. The Lord's calling us to go, Saul probably said to Barney. Where should we go? What do you think? Why, I think maybe Cyprus. The fishing's pretty good there. And it's my home country. And I care about these people. And they don't know anything about Jesus. They've never heard about him. And indeed, they hadn't. The worship of Venus, also known as Epaphrodite, the pagan goddess of love, that was all centered in this pagan place, Cyprus. So there was a young man that was called to youth ministry. Speaking to his young wife, where should we start? Where should we go? Well, I've got unfinished business in Dinuba, Dinuba High School. I think God's put that on my heart. What do you think? Well, place to start. As a high school student for three and a half years on that high school campus, the only time I heard Jesus' name was as a swear word. True. And for three and a half of those years, I was just as guilty. And then the Lord got a hold of my heart. And my friends were all going one way. God got a hold of my heart and I, I made a U-turn. Started going another way. Hey, Tally! Hey, there's going to be a party going on. Got a kegger happening. Are you coming? I don't think so. What? No. You see, I want to go to 
prayer and Bible study on Wednesday night. Why? That's weird. I know. You guys go on. I'm, I'm not interested in that direction anymore. Whew. You are, you've gone nuts, Tally. You are crazy. And then from there I went to, to school and God just really affirmed in my heart his calling. And I go, you know, the name Jesus has never been heard on that campus except as a swear word. That's going to change by your grace, Lord. It's almost like that campus was hit by a tornado. Tornado tally. It was incredible what the Lord began to do. You see, the principal, Mr. Cates, I became very close to as a student body leader. And I went into his office and I said, I'm, I'm working at the church over here, and I've got some kids that are on campus. And is it okay if we meet for lunch? We have a brown bag lunch, and, and we study the you know, Bible, and we do some things, and maybe they'll bring some of their friends. And Mr. Cates goes, sure, why don't you use such and such classroom? Great. So we started having a brown bag Bible study at lunch. And the kids started bringing some of their friends. And then I got involved in just, you know, supporting the sports teams and just being there for the kids. And God just began to just make a change in those kids' lives. And then I got this phone call. We want you to come to Willows. I go, no way. Going really good here. Not interested. You just come and see. Fine, to get Pastor Raisner off my back. We'll come and see. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And we felt the love of Christ on this community and on that church like we've never felt before. It was just like a liquid love of Christ for the kids in this community. And Cheryl and I looked at each other, and we go, we don't have a choice. we got to go. You see, the Lord was doing it, and we just wanted to be close to the Lord, so we got involved in what he was doing. And we got blessed. And then we figured out, well, I can't get on campus with a brown bag Bible study, but Catherine Earhart lives right next to the campus. Catherine, what about having a brown bag lunch and Bible study at your house. Sure. And we just ended up filling her house to overflowing with kids. And then Coach Moore, his office was at the high school. So I'd have a hard time finding his office as I kind of wandered around campus. Where, where, who are you looking for? Oh, I'm looking for Coach Moore's office. Oh, it's over there. Oh, great. But in, in the meantime, I kept running into kids and encouraging them and being there for him. And finally, I'd make it to coach's office and we'd pray for more kids. It's amazing what God does. Anyway, I can identify with Barnabas. I want to go back to Cyprus. 
there's unfinished business there. I haven't shared with my own people about Jesus. So off they went. Verse 5. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God. In other words, they began to share Jesus. And you see, it's in God's word. It's all about him. It's all about him from beginning to end. First page to last page. And they started in the synagogues, the Jews first. And then when they got pushed out of the synagogues, they went to the Gentiles. And they had John as their assistant. And he's there. He's just going, man, I can't believe it. And now we're going to start telling the Gentiles about Jesus. And Jesus' name was heard in Barnabas' hometown now. As they move forward, things get really crazy, really interesting. They always do when you're following the Lord and he's at work and you and I get to be a part of what he's doing. So verse 6, Now when they had gone through the island to Patphos, they found a certain sorcerer. Oh, whoa! A false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. So they're traveling through this depraved island, Barnabas and Saul, they encounter this Bar-Jesus, literally son of Jesus. He was a false prophet. He was taking on a Jewish name, Joshua, claiming to be somebody, a sorcerer, a wizard, a really weird and bizarre individual. Of course, we don't see any of those in our highly enlightened society, do we? No. And it reminds us, we're right in the middle of a mission field. Whoa! I always wanted to be a missionary. Here we are. And we're all ministers. We're all missionaries. Just walk close to Jesus. Watch out. He's at work. And you get to be a part of it. Well... So verse 7, talking about this sorcerer who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a very intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul, and he sought to hear the word of God. So Sergius Paulus, he was a Roman governor of the island. He's heard about these two guys, one of them, Barney, who's from Cyprus, but they're bringing a message about this man who claimed to be God, a God-man, who then died on the cross for the sins of the world, and then the third day he rose from the dead, and that all you have to do is Open your heart to Him and He promises you forgiveness of sins and new life and power in your life to be everything God created you to be. And then you have eternal life. Are you kidding me? i got to hear more about this. So, there was a problem. Verse 8. Elimus, the sorcerer, that was his name translated, he withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. He's called the enlightened one. Of course, he's jealous. He's worried. 
<laughs> if if the proconsul believes in this Jesus, I'm going to lose you know my status and my place and my influence with him. <clears throat> I got to stop this at all cost. That remind you of somebody like Saul at one time. I got to stop these Christians and the name of Jesus at all costs. And look at verse 9. This is a fascinating verse. Then Saul, who also is called Paul. Okay, we're going to stop there just for a little bit and think about that. Wow. It's about time Paul shows up, huh? So this is where Saul's name is changed to Paul. The word Saul means the requested one. You see, he was named after King Saul, who was requested by the people and who was uh, just a very important one. But what does Paul mean? Paul means little or humble. See, something happened in Saul's life when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He thought he was the requested one. I'm the one that's going to be in charge. I'm going to, I'm going to take charge. People are going to look up to me. And now he's starting to realize it's not about me. He's starting to really fall in love with Jesus like he never has before. And he says, I'm not wanting to be the requested one. I'm not wanting to be the important one. I just want to be Jesus' one. I'm just little. I just want to follow Jesus. I believe this was the death of Saul. And he put it in these words, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in this flesh, in this body, why well, now I live by faith in the Son of God. Huh. He's the one that loved me, and he gave himself for me. Your notes number three. I find it interesting that the longer Paul walked with the Lord, the more he realized his need for the Lord, the Lord's love, grace, and mercy, the more humble he became. See, it's just the beginning of Saul to Paul, then to the man that we know in the Word of God. Early ministry, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15:9, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm still an apostle. And then about the middle of his ministry, he says, I'm the least of all the saints, but I'm still a saint. And then finally, near the end of his life, he said to Timothy, truth is, I'm just the chief of sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15. He's just saying, oh, how I love the Lord for what he's done for me. So Paul... Verse 9, so we continue. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at this sorcerer, and he said, and I'm going, really, really, Paul? 
Whoa! And he just nails him. Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Whoa, what a look that must have been. I'm sure you could have heard a pin drop when Paul said that. Now, Paul could be very affectionate. He could be gentle like a mother with children to the Thessalonians. But there are times when he did not hold back. Do you know there were times when Jesus didn't hold back? The religious leaders, he says to them, you are, you are of your father the devil, a murderer, a liar, John 8.44. He didn't hold back. Standing toe-to-toe with demonic intentions, Paul says, first, fraud, deceit, enemy of all righteousness. Second, Verse 11, And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Does that remind you of anybody? Saul. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. So, Paul's come down heavy on this guy. But I believe it... it, It was out of a heart of love. How so? Well, think about this. When Jesus blinded Saul, and he had to be led by the hand, because he ended up being blinded physically, he saw spiritually what he needed to see. And I think that that was Paul's heart in not mincing words with this, and Jesus blinding this sorcerer, Paul's prayer was not, Sick him, Lord! Get him, Lord! His prayer was, Save him, Lord, like you saved me. Whatever it takes, save him like you saved me. And then the response. The proconsul believed. Whoa! When he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I thought this is a fascinating verse. So the the leader of the whole island, the governor, accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He opened his heart. He saw what happened, but what was he astonished about? Look at your notes, number four. It interests me that Luke didn't say Sergius Paulus was astonished at the miracle that took place. Although that probably got his attention. No, Luke says he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. You mean the Almighty God loves me? And God the Son became a man took my sins upon his shoulders and he died and took the penalty in my place and to 
absolutely prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that He is the Son of God and that He's the Savior of anyone in the whole world that would come to Him. He rose from the grave on the third day and He's now alive and He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. You mean He did all of this for me? He was astonished. May we never become so accustomed to hearing the story of the cross that it just becomes casual information for us. Oh, the wonder of it all. Oh, the amazing grace of God. Oh, the work that he wants to do in willows in the days ahead. All we have to do is just get close to him. Follow him. Hang on to your hats. Good things are right around the corner, I believe, with all my heart. Especially when we get astonished again at the teaching of the Lord and who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how God, very God, gave himself for us that we might have eternal life and life worth living while we're on this earth. Worship team, come on up. As we close this service, I just want to look at Jesus. I want us to be astonished at who he is and what he's done. It's not about us. It's about his astonishing love for us. He loves the world, but oh how he loves his church even more, if that's possible. He does. Well, let's just close this time putting our eyes on Jesus. And I used the message translation just to give us a little different take on the words. Christ Jesus had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. No, not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity, of being God and the privileges of being on the throne in the universe, and took on the status of a slave. He became human. And then verse 8, Christ Jesus, having become human, He stayed human. Did you know we'll always see the scars from the cross on our precious Savior throughout eternity? He was, it was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life for you and for me and then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, 
crucifixion. But then, because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. O Lord, Keep us astonished at your word, your person, and your work for us. When that happens, when we become astonished and really open our hearts, watch out. The ripples are just going to keep spreading God's love. Is going to touch hearts that you would never believe even possible that his love would touch. And lives will be changed radically. You would never believe that that could happen. Amen? Let's stand and worship our Savior. astonished about Jesus. What if we really were astonished? Watch out. Hold on your hats. Good things are coming. Amen. There's somebody to pray with up front if you'd like prayer. Thanks so much online and in person for being here today. I'm astonished that Jesus loved me. That's for sure. <laughs>